0: Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Welcome back to season three of Coffee and Conservation. We had a couple of weeks off, but we are back to round out the season with some really interesting conversations with Dr. John Brooks, a research microbiologist at the USDA Agricultural Research Service, and he is housed at the Genetics and Sustainable Agriculture Research Unit, which is located here adjacent to the Mississippi State University campus. Also joining us for these conversations is Alexandra Firth. Lexi is a PhD student with my lab here in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at MSU. And she works very closely with different researchers with the ARS, including Dr. Brooks. So we all share much interest in the topics ahead. Today, we are discussing the role of soil biology in agriculture systems. Uh, But before we dive in, John, can you give our listeners some background about your path to becoming an environmental microbiologist?
1: Yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Baker and, and Lexi for uh, the invite or to the podcast. Uh, yeah. So um, I guess I started out as a as a pre-med student um, at the University of Texas, El Paso, and I was never intending on actually going into any sort of medical thing, but uh, the pre-med program was the one that gave me the most access to microbiology, and it gave me the most access to uh, any of the biology classes. So I was able to basically take every single biology class I could take at, uh, at the university. And so that then led me to working um, at an at a environmental research lab uh, at Texas A&M. Uh, there's an extension site, uh, experimental s- extension site, uh, located in El Paso. Uh, so I worked there for a couple years towards the end of my undergraduate. And then that led me down the path of environmental work. Uh, I then started applying for schools and applied to University of Arizona as one of, one of the schools I applied to. And the rest is history at that point. I, I uh, met up with Dr. Uh, Ian Pepper and Charles Gerba and two very well-renowned um, godfathers of environmental microbiology. And uh, it went. it basically took off from there.
0: Um, I find it really interesting that you were a uh, pre-med student, because I feel like that's what a lot of people in biology start out as, and then we all kind of deviate, and we're like, oh, maybe don't. we don't want to be a doctor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, can you tell us a little bit about what uh, your current microbial research is in agricultural systems?
1: So I would say really in ag systems- Probably our program is about 60% uh, associated with sustainable ag. And in that respect, what what my particular microbiology program is looking at is uh, focused on soil biology and how these agronomic systems that are put in place by agronomists, how those systems affect the soil biology. And that could be affected in a positive way, it could be affected in a negative way. Uh, it could be affected in a, in a neutral way. There's no plus or minus uh, in that uh, particular uh, management system. But we need to know and understand what is going on in the soil biology, really, because soil biology um, is basically like the master of the universe. It, it basically controls everything that's going on in your ag system. And so that's really what leads uh, uh, my particular program uh, that we have now. The other part, the other 40% of the program is really focused on uh, pathogens. And that, that's, that's my bread and butter. Um, that's really where I started out in. That's my love. Um, uh, that's, uh, you know, ever since I saw the movie Outbreak in 1993, I think. Uh, that was, I knew I was going to go down the path of a microbiologist and I knew I wanted to study anything that, that could make you sick and, and you know, hurt you. Um, so that led me to uh, a lot of this focus on pathogen movement, antimicrobial resistance movement, uh, basically fate and transport uh, through the environment. Uh, so that, that's really the other 40%, but really that's my, my true passion uh, is, is pathogen.
0: So you mentioned that soil microbiology is like the master of the universe (laughs) and, and seemingly I, I would guess that when you started your career in environmental micro, uh, it wasn't exactly the climate in in agricultural science that we have today, where soil biology is like exploding. Um, And of course, the microbiological side, just because of the advances in monitoring and measuring techniques. Can you give us a few examples of some of those critical biological processes that are inherently connected to egg production?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, I started my graduate work in in 2001. And when I started that program, our main focus was still based in, in culture. So you grew the microbes up, whether it's uh, pathogenic bacteria like E. coli or salmonella. Uh, You grew those up and you counted them on a plate or you counted them in a tube and and you calculated whatever it is that you needed to calculate. Um, We were already starting to do a lot of PCR work, so a lot of genetic uh, work, working with genes. Uh, We were starting to do that, but at that point, you're only talking, PCR was about 15 years uh, since its its inception uh, at that point. So it was starting to really trickle out into all the labs and environmental microbiology or environmental labs in general were always probably the most underfunded of the sciences. Um, And because of that, it, it took us a while to get a hold of these high you know, molecular techniques that are really, really the key to what we have have really been able to understand in soil biology that we that we understand now. And so, um, like you said, uh, the, the the techniques, those those fancy my, you know uh, molecular based techniques, have really enabled us to unlock our understanding. And so, I would say some some processes, basically every biological process is involved in ag production. So if you take your fertilizer and you just take your regular run-of-the-mill fertilizer and you put that fertilizer out into the field, uh, the soil biology and the biological processes are the ones that are putting out the enzymes that are taking that fertilizer. And either in the case of a manure fertilizer, they're the ones that are breaking down the manure and making that fertilizer nutrients available to the plant. Um, They're the ones that are creating the organic matter that are helping bind up a lot of those uh, fertilizer nutrient chemicals and keeping them from running away, running off of your field or or going deeper into your soil so that eventually it'll get into your your groundwater. Soil biology is heavily involved at the very, very beginning of the process. Um, As you go through a typical season, uh, the soil biology controls how much more of that nutrient gets released throughout the season and how much more of those those chemicals, those, those molecules are going to be available to the plant. In addition to, there's also a biological process where these organisms, the healthy, the good organisms, that are in the soil. They're fighting the potential plant pathogens. That could be worms, that could be fungi. They're fighting these pathogens and keeping them from getting into your plants that you are wanting to cultivate. So that's another big soil biological process that's happening at the very middle of your season. And then you, know, you get more towards the end of your season and you have your leaf litter and your plant residue and yes, a lot of that is broken down by physical processes. Maybe we crimp it, maybe we run it over, we burn it down with, with uh, chemicals. Uh, but a lot of the that leaf litter that stays on the surface of the soil, soil biology, the, the microorganisms are involved in breaking down that leaf litter and capturing it so that you, the farmer or whomever, uh, has access to those critical uh, uh, uh molecules and chemicals that are that are available in that leaf litter later on so soil biology is involved throughout the entire process from start to end and really um, one of the main reasons we're able to start to understand any of this is through these advanced techniques that were that we're finally starting to unlock and and get an understanding of what what's actually going on in the soil
0: uh- so John, can we just really quick, you threw out some jargon, what what exactly is a PCR? <laughs> you can explain it in one sentence.
1: Uh, so PCR uh, is p- uh, polymerase chain reaction. Basically it's what allows us to take a gene from the environment, DNA from the environment and we can measure it uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a tube is basically what we wanna do with PCR. So how tube. much
0: of it is there as well? Not just the gene, right? Okay. Yes,
1: it gives us a a plus or minus. Is it there? Uh, Is it not there? And it also gives us uh, uh, the ability to quantify and get a a determination of how many of these genes we might have in a gram of soil. Okay.
0: So, how has agriculture altered uh, soil biological functions in these systems?
1: So, um, ag, I guess, ag systems in general. If you're if you're doing things the right way, um, you can certainly have a positive effect on on uh, soil biological functions. Uh, if you're somehow adding organic matter back to the system, if you're keeping that organic matter in the system, uh, those those management tools that management will help propel your soil biology, and will uh, eventually. Um, basically help establish a very healthy population in the soil that will work for you uh, as the farmer. It'll, it'll do the work that you want uh, in the middle of the season. It'll do the work that in some cases we, we don't know it, but we rely on the, the microbial population to be kind of reflexive, uh, meaning that if something bad happens to our system, the soil microbiology can potentially rescue the system if it's healthy. If it's not healthy and something bad happens to the system, now you run a risk of of things getting even worse. And so those those are things that if if one thing we can do from at least here in the Southeast, one thing we can do is add organic matter back to the system. And that can be done through cover crops, that can be done through fertilizers, that can be done through uh, reduced tillage, uh, all the number of things that that uh, many people have already heard of and are trying. Those are all processes that alter the soil biology and, and alter those, those functions in the, in the system.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that is really interesting um, information and, the, the component about specifically managing that soil organic matter to help sustain the biological populations, the diversity of those populations and all the different jobs that they do in the soil um, is really relevant to the conversation just because of the topic we're on, but also because of the um, focus put on soil health right now across the country, whether it's from different institutes, government agencies, or academic research. And one of the fundamental components, because when we talk about soil health and we don't talk about um, the actual functions and processes that we want to happen in a healthy soil, uh, it's not always inherent to the, the folks we're talking to that a lot of those functions are tied to soil organic matter and the management of that soil organic matter. So I think it's really important that we, that you pulled that out and highlighted that um, because it does help connect concepts around soil health to a specific um, management focus on the farm. Um, and you mentioned there's several different ways to manage carbon, to add carbon. Um, in the research you're doing, you work with several different soil amendments and tools like this. Can you give us a few examples of things you've been working with more recently?
1: So uh, one of the things we've been really working on has been cover crop, um, particularly looking at mixes of cover crops. Um, we're also looking at uh, uh, cover crop. It's hard to explain this over a podcast, but basically cover crop spacing. So how you place the seed into the soil uh, do you place this if you do a mixed cover crop do you place one seed at this location at one seed of a different cover crop 10 centimeters away from the precision soil precision
0: seed planting this is
1: precision agriculture mm-hmm. okay. uh, at its finest and so we're looking to see if, because we, what we know about cover crop and what we know about plants in general <clears throat> is that uh, uh plants can have an antagonistic effect amongst each other and they can they can have a, a, a pro effect uh, uh, with each other. And so um, we want to see if there's a way that you can biologically amplify the interaction between two particular cover crops if you plant them in a certain space. Uh, so this is something that we're we're looking at. We know that um, um, uh, a GPS guided planting systems can, can do this and, and we're heading towards that way. And then of course there's, a, there's an entire soil biology uh, aspect to it because every single cover crop, so if you have radish planted and then you also mix that with uh, a rye grass, uh, you have two totally different bacterial populations and fungal populations associated with the radish and then you'll have a totally different set of populations associated with the rye grass. And and even though it's planted into the exact same soil, maybe only centimeters apart from each other, uh, those two plants will actually select four populations in the soil. Uh, and, And so they'll have preferential treatment, if you will. Uh, And so that's uh, something that we're looking at now. And of course, we've done a lot of uh, fertilizer-based work. Uh, Our particular unit, um, we did a lot of chicken litter. Uh, Mississippi has a lot of of poultry operations. um, And so we've done a lot of chicken litter uh, studies uh, here, looking at different rates, looking at different amendments, chemical amendments to the chicken litter, uh, amendments that prevent uh, runoff of, of your precious nutrients that are in the chicken litter um, amendments that uh, keep some of the carbon in the soil rather than having it lost as carbon dioxide. Uh, these sorts of things uh, we've looked at a lot, and, and these two methods: cover crop and chicken litter, or municipal biosolids, uh, or dairy manure, or any kind of any kind of manure like that, any kind of waste quote-unquote waste fertilizer uh, like that are, are very good methods for adding um, organic matter back to the system.
0: I also like that your unit does really reasonable <coughs> combinations of those amendments too, something that a farmer might actually use in tandem instead yeah. of isolating some of these things as being a treatment on its own because that's not really how the farm management scheme works. It's several different things happening all at the same time. Like uh, I think I was reading one of the papers that had um, chicken litter and gypsum and maybe one other treatment the other day too, but it, yep. just a really interesting combination of amendments all at the same time.
1: Yeah, so what we try to accomplish there, and that's really a testament to our unit, what we try and, and our agronomists uh, that that have uh uh these management plans uh one thing that they try to do is let's do management systems that are actually ones that are attainable by a farmer because it's one thing to say hey why don't you farmer x go off and buy a million dollar piece of equipment and if you do that and you use it on your field oh it's gonna have you know you're gonna have these wonderful gains Uh, as a result of it, well, you're asking a farmer to go invest a million dollars into a piece of equipment. Maybe that farmer doesn't have that kind of collateral, doesn't have that kind of cash to to do that sort of thing. So what we want to focus on from our unit's perspective is focus on methods that they can do uh, that are reasonable. But in other respect, like this cover crop thing, uh, the mixing of cover crops and, and the spacing that's something that is a little bit more cutting edge, a little bit more leading edge science. So of course we're still going to push that because we have to push that to be, you know, on the on the forefront of what we're doing. Um, but we always ground our research in what is attainable, what is possible for Mississippi farmers, and and broaden it out. What's attainable, what's possible for southeastern uh, farmers, and of course. Uh, we also were a, a, a federal agency, so we have an interest in in farmers all across the the country. But uh, obviously, we're located here, so we we really focus on what's attainable for for our farmers here.
0: All right, I'm going to stop you right there because we are going to move into the topic of antimicrobial resistance in our next episode. So stay tuned. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.com. or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at
1: extension.msstate.edu.